and welcome to Fresh Press for September 8th of the year 2020. My name is Gabe. And my name is Andrew. This is a show about music where we talk about grainy grooves and new tunes. Is that anything? Wow. Yeah, no, that's great with the, with the alliteration and everything, Andrew. That's really top of the line. It's one of your best. Of course, I said it backwards. <gasps> Normally, I say new tunes first. Which, you know, maybe we've always had it backwards because we always do the theme songs first. So perhaps you were doing it the correct way this time. As you may have gathered, actually, maybe you didn't. We're not doing grains of rice this week, folks. We're doing grains of sand. Sand is the theme, even though everybody hates sand. That's my favorite sitcom. Wow. That's a bad version of that joke. Yeah. Andrew, I've had the opportunity this week to be at the beach, and there's sand at the beach, so I thought perhaps we should do sand. And it's kind of like the last week of summer. Yeah, that's sort of the energy that you're bringing to this show is like, Well, there's sand at the beach, and I'm at the beach, so I guess we'll do sand. There's lots of beach music, and most of it is not great. Wow, hot take. I just, when I was looking through songs for sand, Andrew, I found a lot of what I expected, which is like extremely chill beach music that didn't have a lot of substance behind it, or the songs were like extremely famous, like Castles in the Sand. Or sand castles. I just found a lot of songs about sandwiches. <laughs> um, but you, you found an excellent song from, I'd say this is an old groove, Andrew. It certainly is. The song that I have brought is by Linda Perhacks from her 1970 debut album Parallelograms. And the song is called Sandy Toes. <laughs> Gabe, I'm going to take a stab in the dark and guess that you do not know who Linda Prax is. I don't. Cool. Here's why. She uh, released this album in 1970 and nobody bought it. Ah, that's a bummer. Yeah. So she continued to be a dental hygienist. Wow. I, that makes sense with the stab in the dark then, because that's kind of what it feels like when I go to the dentist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jesus. So is this her only record then? Well, it's not. And that's the interesting thing is that she has this record from 1970. And then she has one other record from 2014. Wow. The comeback. Yeah. So here's what happened. She was a dental hygienist. Um, and she was living in uh, outside of L.A. and working in L.A. She was living with her husband at the time, who apparently was very much a hippie and was like a sculptor and also had a bunch of falcons and hawks, you know? Yeah, just normal, normal 17th century things. (laughs) Yeah. She uh, graduated from USC with a degree in dental stuff. Toothology. Teeth. Just a degree in teeth. Yeah. Then she uh, went to work for one of her professors from USC who was working, like, just off Rodeo Drive. <laughs> wow. Okay. So she was a dental hygienist for, you know, Cary Grant, Paul Newman, Henry Fonda, like, <laughs> a whole bunch of Hollywood celebrities. 
at the time. Wow. Did this experience being on Rodeo Drive then lead her to create an album? Or did like one of the was like Cary Grant like, hey, you should sing while you <laughs> clean my teeth. <laughs> I mean, no, it was not that that would be wild if that's how it happened. But um she had been, you know, working as dental hygienist in LA and also living outside of LA in this house with a bunch of birds and a hippie sculptor husband and like getting into sort of that side of the 60s and early 70s. Sure. And one of her patients was Leonard Rosenman, who I don't know anything about, but he was apparently an Academy Award-winning film composer. Okay. He sort of just like struck up a conversation with her about like, I, I don't know. It just says like, and he just looked up out of the blue and he said, Linda, I cannot believe this is all you do. And she just said, like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I live in Topanga Canyon. I My husband has a bunch of birds. I write all these little songs sometimes. Rosenman was like, oh, great. Bring me a tape. And she was like, okay. So she made him a tape. And he was like, holy fuck. I, like, come to the studio now. <laughs> wow. So it was pretty much that. Thing. Yes. It wasn't Cary Grant saying, like, you, become a musician. <laughs> but it was sort of. Close enough. It was through that, uh, through that connection. In as being a dental hygienist for famous people in Hollywood. So for somebody who ended up making a single record, I, I'm kind of baffled because admittedly I've only listened to the song off the album, but it's incredible. So here's what happened. She uh, brought Leonard Rosenman a bunch of these demos and was like, hey, here's what I'm working on. And he was like amazed with it. And a lot of the other tracks on this album, especially the title track, Parallelograms, are a lot more like psychedelic and experimental kind of. And Rosamond was like, hey, this is like Parallelograms. This is like the greatest song. And this is what is like carrying the album for Will for years upon years. But it's weird. And if like executives come into the studio while we're recording, you should switch to a different song because they will not get it and, and want to throw this in the trash. Right. The music industry of 1970, folks. So there's actually a story about how, like, five or six, like, business-suited men walked in while she was recording parallelograms, working on all the harmonies, and she's like, okay, we're going to switch to Sandy Toes. <laughs> so this is, like, the opposite of that. Um, although it's still very cool and um, very complex, it's a little more accessible than parallelograms is. You know, if if this song is your baseline for, like, most commercial like you can understand that the rest of the album it gets pretty uh out there yeah but the studio was just like going for radio hits so they totally like stripped all of the like all the treble and like a lot of like they just really compressed it a ton to the center sort of am radio kind of sound and that's how they pressed it on the record and that's how they sent it to radios who didn't really like it because it didn't work when they took away all of the the good parts of the album um right. and nobody really bought the record and she said she threw it in, threw it in the trash because it was terrible wow but fast forward first 30 years later to, to the year 2000 uh-huh. when she almost died of pneumonia and then she didn't and then she came back home and there was a cd in her mailbox from a guy named michael piper who runs the record label wild places in brooklyn okay and they had reissued that album on CD, Parallelograms, 
and people had picked it up and loved it. Um, and she had no idea. So Michael Piper was just like, hey, I've been trying to find Linda Perhax. Is that you? Do you know that people love this album? That's so cool. Wow. Um, and she told him like, oh, did you know that what you've re-released is that like compressed to hell, totally destroyed version of those recordings? But of course, Linda in her bedroom had a master of the full album originally before it got through the, all of the executives. Whoa. So she had this big like uh, cassette that was the master of the album um, and she gave it to him and he, you know, it was like she'd had it for 30 years. It had like melted partially and was like corrupted, but he was able to digitize all of it and, and, and uh, restore the master. And that is the version that now you are hearing online. So how did she then end up releasing a record like an additional 10 to 15 years later? So they released an expanded version of Parallelograms um, at some point after they had gotten the real master. She, I think she added a couple other recordings that weren't released before. And she just sort of got rolling. And then eventually she just wrote some more songs and, and made a new album. I mean, it wasn't like... Um, it, it seems like she really took her time with it even when it sort of exploded back into her life again. Seems wise. I think, I mean, she was still like, she's still a dental hygienist when this album came out, when the second album came out, I mean. That's a pretty incredible story. Right? So delightful and wholesome. Like, it really did work out in the end. What stands out to you the most about this song? I think what I really love about this song in particular that sets it apart from, from another song that might be considered like the most commercial song on an album like this is the way that specifically the way that the lines are phrased um she's describing sort of just a moment really of falling in love with someone and she doesn't she it's very straightforward but not phrased in a straightforward way so she says as the sand is to my toes and the wind is to my face and the rain upon my hair is felt so his eyes were to my eyes which is just beautiful the lyricism yeah, the lyrics, and it just feels the way that she's approached. I mean, it's it's literally like the the grammar of it is what I love. It's so detached the way that she structures those phrases. You know, as the sand is to my toes, the wind is to my face, the rain upon my hair is felt, is an insane way of writing that sentence. But his eyes were to my eyes is such an evocative, like, key that unlocks those three sort of obscured, uh, phrases before it that now you understand that like the feeling of meeting your eyes with this person with whom you are falling in love is as like present and sensory an experience as the sand in your toes the wind on your face the rain on your hair two musical things that really stand out to me also are one the doubled vocals it's a really gorgeous harmony and then I think the bass here is uh, is an upright bass. Um, and the way that the bassist kind of like 
slides through some of the the bass line in a way most people don't do on a fretted electric bass. Adds a beautiful effect that fits really well with that double those doubled vocals that are also a little bit like kind of slidey in tone. Yeah, I think all those components come together really nicely. You know, the the bass is this nice like undertone that is almost like feels to me almost like the waves sort of coming in and receding. And then there's this shimmering of guitars over the top that's almost like the you know, the rainfall the rain being felt upon her hair. Um, <laughs> and then her voice moves like like the wind. Linda Parax is, is synesthetic. And I really feel like that's 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 such a, a major strength of of this song and all of her work that I'm not synesthetic, but I feel like she conveys all those senses, the the visual and like a touch of, of sand to your toes and wind on your face just through through sound. It's it's really incredible. Gorgeous. Gabe, you've brought a different kind of sand, a drier kind of sand. Yes, as it turns out that there are more than one biome in this world that contains sand. Beaches are a classic, but desert sands, Andrew, are very important. <laughs> in what way? In what way are they important, Gabe? Tell us more. Uh they're the natural predator Andrew, of mosquitoes. Have you read, so. Andrew, have you read the book Dune? You know I have. I do know that. It's kind of like that. Full of worms. Um, This song is titled The Blizzard's Never Seen the Desert Sands by the tallest man on earth off his 2008 record Shallow Grave. Blizzards never seen the desert sands. I will set that sand below in my commands. Come follow down a highway one trail by my golden calf. For the blizzards never seen the desert sands. I really like an episode where uh, your song sounds like a song that I would have brought. That's true. This song definitely <laughs> sounds like a song you would have brought. The Tallest Man on Earth, Andrew, is a Swedish singer-songwriter named Christian Matson. Okay. How tall is he? Five foot seven. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, like... Is that real? Yeah, that's real. I looked it up. <laughs> I was like, oh, he must be, like, at least, like, more, like, uncomfortably tall, right? But he's, like, short for... An American man, and he's particularly short for a Swedish man. Yeah. So not the tallest man on earth, but you know, height, Andrew, is not really a measurement so much as a state of being, as we know. No. What? No. Um, I was going to say that it's just sort of aspirational that he was maybe hoping that at some point during the run of this uh, singer-songwriter project, he would become the tallest man on earth. Well, in some ways he has, right? No? 
Well, I mean, that's uh, that's what everybody calls him. They say, oh, look, it's the tallest man on Earth. <laughs> look, there goes the tallest man on Earth. <laughs> so that's the first contradictory thing I find about Christian Matson. He is five foot seven, and his singer-songwriter project name is The Tallest Man on Earth. The second confusing thing is that he's Swedish, but the music that he writes sounds extremely American. Yeah, like, that's really true. This song is Americana folk. Like, it is, like, n- what? They don't make, this is not Swedish in origin. He's gotten a lot of comparisons, especially early in his career. This was his first record, so especially from this record, to Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. You know, and to some extent, I guess every folk singer gets comparisons <laughs> to Bob Dylan because right. Bob Dylan's the only folk singer most people know. But I do, I do hear that comparison with my own limited knowledge of Bob Dylan, kind of the detached lyricism and folkiness. It is definitely a folk song in a way that's like non-negotiable. Yeah, and it's not about necessarily the, the instrumentals or the music, but rather the lyrics of it and fitting into that tradition of folk music. Right. The other thing that adds to that effect is the recordings are recordings that he makes like in his home, usually with just one microphone for both the banjo or the guitar and his voice. Mm-hmm. So very stripped back recording style, which makes it feel very live and very raw. And you can like hear the instrument. And so on some of the tracks on this record, you can actually hear like outdoor noise. <laughs> But it works really well. Like you hear like birds chirping, and like that. Okay, yes, that works. Why not? I wanted to discuss the lyrics on this song, "The Blizzard's Never Seen the Desert Sands" with you. I was hoping you would. Partially because you're better at parsing lyrics than I am, and I would like you to explain to me what things mean. But oh, there's a there's a few really interesting points. Uh, the first is the main line of the song: "The Blizzard's Never Seen the Desert Sands." Mm-hmm. My interpretation of that that comes to mind instinctively is like oh there are blizzards in sweden and he's never been to the desert and so it's sort of about him that also is was my thought was now just learning that he is swedish Uh, because the rest like he's he is driving the blizzard to the desert sands right yeah but also you know that could be a metaphor for these two like the way these two incredible natural things don't interact but are somewhat similar maybe what would that be a metaphor for that's what it literally is what is oh, it a metaphor right. for oh right right i see yeah i have to follow that up huh is that <laughs> yeah. how metaphor works listen that's to mean something liberal arts what's uh uh yeah um i'm going to move on <laughs> the the other note that really strikes me is there are some biblical references. Right. So that was another thing that was interesting to me and is is now making a little more sense to me if, if we're thinking about it as like, he's Swedish, he's the blizzard, and he's never seen the desert sands. Uh, because the line with the major biblical references, come follow down the highway once trailed by my golden calf, which to me sounds like he, the blizzard, is going to visit a place, possibly the American West, given his musical tendencies. I don't know. Maybe he really likes Jack Kerouac and he's going to, you know, do the whole 
on the road thing, which is the highway that was once trailed by his golden calf because he doesn't like Jack Kerouac anymore and has recognized him as a false idol. Wow. Amazing. That's so much. I have no idea if that's true or right or makes any sense at all, but I like it. It's the easiest decision I have done. Come follow down a highway once trailed by my golden calf. For the blizzard's never seen the desert sand. And the bells up in the towers, they will ring. And the frightened little choirs, they will sing. I don't think that all of the lyrics fit together in some sort of perfect metaphor or allegory or story in any way in this song. But they do provide some beautiful pictures, especially of like power, uh, like powerful natural forces, like the mm-hmm. blizzard in the desert sands, but also I will sit up in the saddle of the storm. Love that line. Uh, and the bells up in the towers, they will ring and the frightened little choirs, they will sing. Uh, there's like this idea of awe to me, which almost seems like he is taking the perspective of, the judeo-christian god yeah and i mean i think the structure of the song the timelessness of that structure really underscores that that like mystical religious kind of quality that the lyrics have the fact that the song is is a very simply structured song and very recognizably structured and the lines are like in iambic pentameter you know like it's it's just like set up in such a way to have this this gravity there's a certain, yeah, classicness to the verses. Give me a second. Okay, Gabe. Yes. I'm not waiting for you today to ask me about new tunes. What? Because I've just put on my Lomelda hat, and it's time for me to talk about Lomelda. Oh, it's Lomelda time. Yes. In the city. I did literally put on this hat. I believe you. I brought the hat up to my desk for this sort of prop comedy moment on our audio podcast. Amazing. Nothing quite like prop comedy in a medium where you don't see the people. Yeah. But it also sort of gets me in the, you know, it's like you put on your thinking cap, you put on your Lamelda cap, and you get ready to meld. So I'd love to plug this baseball hat, but it is it is sold out on Bandcamp. Oh, it is. Alas, I pre-ordered it. I pre-ordered it as soon as the album was announced. Andrew, you have been so excited for this album. You've been saying that you were going to bring a song off this record every time that she dropped a single. Mm-hmm. What does Lomelda mean to you? <laughs> Gabe, I'm so glad you asked. If you were to ask Hannah Reed what Lomelda is, I bet she would say something like, it's low, it's Yola Tango, it's the Innocence Mission, Frank Ocean, Frankie Cosmos. It's the only thing, it's when I get home. You know you've known it. Um, those are lines from the seventh track on this album entitled It's Lomelda, 
Yeah. All right. Yep. So Lamelda is Hannah Reed. This is her fourth studio album. I like. I'm so like exploding with thoughts and things to say about this whole album that I. It's hard for me to like get a foothold in there. You know. Yeah. Maybe. Um. Let me see if I can guide you a little bit. Yeah, maybe I was getting a little ahead of myself when I like rejected your sort of structure part of the podcast and just wanted to talk about stuff because I've gotten here and I don't know how to start. Now, occasionally we have a really great album that we're excited for and we want to talk about. Maybe the last one that really stood out was the Phoebe Bridgers record. Yeah. So it's been a little while. Andrew, did we talk about what the, the title of the album is? Oh, the title of the album is Hannah, which is her name. So Why? Well, a lot of the album is about understanding yourself and who you are and recognizing and sort of, I don't know, parsing uh, your identity or identities. There's a quote from her from, uh, I think, an American songwriter interview where she says, it felt important to call it Hannah because it attached me and my person to my, and my responsibility to the music because that's my name, in a different way than just calling it Lomelda would do. Everybody, as they grow up, has to examine what they've been given and then compare that to what they want to be or what they're choosing. For me, I was reconciling what I was choosing and what I was given and deciding to call myself Hannah. It's a really cool choice because she hasn't put out an album, self-titled album, like a Lomelda album, but this is that except using her actual name, which it feels like is an unusual direction to take that and it works so well with the lyrical content uh, and the structure of the whole record yeah I think one of the things that I love about Lamelda, all of her music and and I think this album is so far her magnum opus it feels so instinctive the way that she writes and like almost stream of consciousness but it's also fully composed and I mean maybe we can go back to her other three albums and look at how that sort of tendency evolved. So her first album is called Forever. And that is, it's a great album. And I love a lot of songs on it. I think that that really executes well some of the like orchestration and like the making songs aspect of making songs. You know what I mean? Like the instrumentals are great on that album. Uh, and it's it's just put together really well. Uh, and then she had Thanks, which I think expands on that and unites it really well with a lot of her songwriting uh, quality. So that's like sort of the first step in this toward the masterpiece that is Hannah. And then last year she put out M for Empathy, which is sort of just the instinct. Like it's incredibly stripped down. She didn't announce it at all. It's only like 15 minutes long. Um, it's all these like little tiny songs um, that are just focused on that uh, directness and honesty. And then what she was able to do a year later with Hannah is access all of that directness and honesty and let it come through the elaborate and full production that she's also capable of doing. <clears throat> Hi, everybody. This is Andrew from the editing room. I got so worked up about Lomelda yesterday recording this podcast that um, I didn't actually tell you what the name of the song that I chose was. So here's me telling you what it is now. This is Hannah Happiest by Lomelda. Are you the happiest you've found? Would you 
Stereo Gum uh, chose this album as their album of the week that they do every week. Yeah. And one of the things that they talk about, that the author of that piece talks about, is the feeling that these are both dire, these are like self-aware diary entries that know yeah. that they are songs and so tap into like I am making this for somebody else to also consume but it's also for me and in such a marvelous blend and I think that's what you're getting at this openness and this honesty but also really exquisite song craft yeah and I think a, an additional layer to that that is maybe not even something she can really control but is a result of of that approach is that for me the listener and maybe it's only for the certain kind of listener or what i don't know but it certainly works for me that it then feels personal for me rather than it being like here's our personal diary entries that are also for an audience is like also this feels like a, a a friend's personal diary entries or a friend confiding in me or me going through these thoughts following along with my in my own brain and i think that's something that comes from her honesty and maybe the way that she writes that that opens up uh, the ability for that like empathy. And I feel like that's a great segue into the specific song you chose. Yeah. Which really crystallizes that idea. Yeah. I think in some ways this whole album, it feels like one unit. Um, and that's, it was really, really hard to pick a song off of this because I loved all of it. And it just seems like one big thing to me, but this song, I think you're right, it is. It feels to me like a centerpiece of the album, not just because it has Hannah in the title, because there's two other songs that have Hannah in the title, but also because of uh, especially the ending, but maybe we'll get to that a little bit later, but the whole sort of structure of what's happening in the song. So a, a lot of the album is about, you know, just mental health and the effect that, you know, emotional issues have on interpersonal relationships that's the most sort of sterile version of this incredibly emotional intuitive yeah. album I can <laughs> now listen to the song you might actually experience those feelings right and that's why i'm like i, I hesitate i like i don't want to try to like mimic her ability to get right at that directly which is why i'm just like abandoning that and going for the most clinical description of of what's going on in the song but this whole the the song centers around a conversation or maybe conversations um she's having with someone or maybe someone's and it's peppered with these little hints toward this overwhelming feeling that she says i can't say what i'm feeling again i can't argue if it's right can be like you'd like this this sort of uh breakdown of communication for a variety of reasons. Yes. Part of it is she can't hear from the wind. But also part of it is like feeling like there's like an emotional wall between you and actually divulging your feelings to someone else. I'm doing a terrible job of describing this. No, I don't think so. Uh, this is part of what I'm saying where it's like it's it feels so like immediate and uh, intuitive to me that it's really hard for me to rephrase it. I mean, this is what makes the song craft so awesome. And what makes all really, really good songwriting amazing is that the emotion just, and the message just comes through so obviously. And words by themselves 
are not as expressive, I think. And we find that with, you know, art. Like you can also explain like painting, right? You can also Yeah, because like po- like poetry sucks, but but music's good, is what you're trying to say. <laughs> yes, actually. I would much rather listen to a bunch <laughs> of excellent songwriting music than a bunch of poetry because I think the music adds something. That's why I do a music podcast and not a poetry podcast. I'm more pro poetry than Gabe, apparently. But I would also much rather go to a poetry reading than read a book of poetry. Or I would much rather read a a poem aloud to myself than just read it in my head. Because I think there's there's a um, putting it into sound, therefore puts it into time, which gives a lot of bandwidth for interpretation and feeling. So uh, this is all to say, the end of the song is asked you if you knew who I was. And that line is repeated over and over. And the way she, that she sets it rhythmically sort of splits that up and doesn't make it as clear of a sentence. Um, and the fact that it gets repeated and cycled over and over, that emotion is it just sort of overwhelms you in the way that I feel like she is portraying her own sense of being overwhelmed uh, in this moment or moments. Um, and she repeats that line, asked you if you knew who I was. It goes so many times, so many more times than I would expect. And then at the very end, she says, you said Hannah, which is what to me makes this track feel like the title track, even though the title is also in two other tracks. Yeah. That it sort of lands on that. And it's not immediately clear what that even means or if it means anything, because like, the just like looking at that at that exchange outside of any context just feels like nothing right ask you if you knew who i was you said hannah yeah it's her name of course that's what you said like duh that's nothing but actually gabe uh this is going to be a weird connection but i've been reading the book the dispossessed mm-hmm. by ursula k Le Guin, um and there was a line in there that i read just last night where there was just a simple exchange between two characters that was just the most basic, like, it was like, oh, you're his sister? Yeah, you look like him. And the narration was like, from anyone else, it would just seem like a completely insipid comment, right? It's nothing. Right. But there was some sort of, there's some, like, honesty, and this is true of that character, which connects well with Hannah Reed and Lamelda, that there's some, like, inherent honesty and simplicity to this presentation of it that makes it feel huge and small at the same time. The hugeness and the smallness all at once is something that's true of the whole album. That it feels like, if I, if I had to use one word to describe this album, it's a microcosm of, of her emotion, of emotion in general, of whatever, but it is this 40 minute piece of music that I feel envelops everything. Another thing that is really interesting about this album and that makes me feel like it's one unit is the way that the songs sort of reference one another and also reference, I mean, her as a person. So there's three songs with Hannah in the title. There's 
a song called It's Lamelda that is just about like what she wants her music to be, referencing other musicians to describe that. But then there's also like a lot of lyrics are repeated and phrases are repeated between songs. The first track is called Kisses. And then the fifth track, Polyurethane, is very short and has the phrase like light like kisses, like kissing when it's all salt and stopping me. She mentions upstate in this song and also in Hannah Sun, which is is clearly the way that she references it is referring to a specific place, uh, not just generally like being up in a state. <laughs> the song Wonder, the, the uh, refrain, it's like the whole song is when you get it, give it all you got, you said. Uh, and in Tommy Dread, there's the phrase, all you got as a refrain near the end. Um, there's a song called Big Shot, and then Big Shot, the phrase Big Shot also comes up in Tommy Dread in a sort of similar context where there's someone else is the big shot that she's trying to impress who is letting her down. And then in the second track and the last track, this is Hannah Sun and Hannah Please, she pairs the concept of like shining and shadow and blue in adjacent lines in each of those songs, um, which is sort of like bookends to the whole to the whole album as as a unit. And I think one of the things that I really love about that is that it feels internal. It doesn't feel like she's like putting in puzzle pieces for a listener to, you know, figure out some sort of concept album between all of these songs. You know what I mean? Right. Like it doesn't feel like an Easter egg. It just feels like if you're writing in a diary or th- or just like thinking in your own brain, it's like self-referential and sometimes you're talking to yourself and sometimes you're talking as yourself and sometimes it's both. And I don't know. I mean, maybe this is just true of, of me and, and not necessarily universal, but like I feel like there are shortcut concepts that I have in my brain that get me to a certain place. And that's what I feel like these repeated lines that have uh, weight to them the way that she sings them. I feel like that's the same thing that they're doing. Again, I don't know if I can if I can express that in any way, but it feels so uh, immediate to me. You know, when you're reading another language and there's a word comes through and you know what the word means, but you could not translate it in that moment? Yeah. That's how it feels listening to this album. Like, oh, yes, I know exactly what that is, but I could not say it. I'll tell you. Uh, Gabe, you've got something also new, also very indie. Um, it's a great episode where I could have brought all four of the songs. Definitely, although I could not have brought all four of the songs. So I think that no. speaks to your influence musically on me, Dominance. Andrew. Um, also, <laughs> also uh, the band I brought is from Philadelphia. I feel like yeah. I've been bringing more Philly bands recently than you have. Maybe which is remarkable since I haven't lived there in many years. Um, This song is titled Park Deli 7 from the band Corey Flood. 
off their debut album, Hanging Garden. So Corey Flood is not a person. Corey Flood is a trio from Philadelphia, consisting of M. Bolts on the guitar, Ivy Gray Klein on the bass, and Juliet Rando on the drums. And all three of them sing to varying extents on the record, although Gray Klein and Bolts are really the main singers. Um, in general, Andrew, I find that this album is a little bit... Uh, tender punk in some of its in some in some ways um it's a little less on the punky side but again you have like these short sweet songs that make up the majority of the record and it's a very short record it's so short you know it's it's nine songs and it's like 20 minutes so in that ways maybe not exactly tender punk but also a very andrew thing it must be said mm-hmm I think this album's great. Um, It's really wonderful. Um, It's uh, kind of uneasy in some ways, uh, and it feels like it's pressing in, like, uncomfortable places on your body, but in, like, a really interesting artistic way. Um, And they do that both lyrically and musically, I think, of this record. Um, I get a lot of, like, Speedy Ortiz vibes from the record. Like, the guitars have a lot of dissonance in them. In this song in particular, there's like a very detuned guitar and bass interplay, and yet it still feels very melodic, which I think encapsulates how I feel about the album. Like it's a little bit uncomfortable, but in like a really good way. So, short songs and also not very much going on lyrically in any song. It's like usually like like this is only five lines of lyrics, but I think similar to. The Lomelda album, this is a record that really struggles with mental health and depression in particular, and trying to fight with that. Um, this idea of like these back-to-back lines of drinking my own poison again, and I'm making gains. Like, I'm doing these things that are harmful to me, but I'm also improving. Um, and then the next line is, sometimes we make bad decisions just because we can. And um, they did an interview with the WXPN blog, The Key, which is like Philly College Radio. And Ivy Gray Klein describes this lyric as like, I'm like just trying to do, make any sort of decision that makes me feel like anything. And so this idea of making bad decisions just because I can is like a way for me to interact with the world in any way, even if it's self-harming, which I think is pretty intense. Um, And there are a lot of themes like that on the record. But also then, again, the centerpiece of this song is this line, I'm making gains, which makes the song feel optimistic in some way. And the guitar and the bass are like a little like untuned, but also like melodic and and rhythmic and and sound great and just like the whole album is this way this like dual nature of like ah and also i'm getting better and here's some good things (laughs) 
feel like the instrumentation on this song really highlights the fact that you are currently at the beach. Interesting. Because it feels kind of like hazy and like it's not like it's not like you're laying around and it's nothing, you know? Because you're you. So it's not like you're you're still like doing stuff. There's still a drive to it, but it is also I don't know, fuzzed out, kind of hazy, a little bit relaxed, even it's not anxious in like a high energy kind of way, even if it has angst in a more existential kind of way. I totally agree with that assessment. It definitely taps into my own feelings. I I, I wouldn't describe myself as an anxious person. I'm not somebody who struggles with anxiety and I'm very fortunate in that way, but like existential angst is something is very prevalent in my life at times. And I think this album taps that quite well. Now, you might think that because there's all of this existential anxiety in this record um, and kind of the doing nothingness of it, that uh, it was recorded or written during quarantine. But actually, this album was recorded in February of 2019. Jeez. And it's just sat for like a year and a half before it came out. I can't imagine being a musician and having my music be recorded and then not released for over a year. I feel like that would be tough. Like you have made this thing. Yeah, I mean, hopefully you are also like playing shows and still playing those songs live, even if they're not released. But I agree that there's, it feel, does feel like there's something missing if it's the album's done and it's sitting there waiting for people to hear it, especially when it's your debut LP. Right. But on the other hand, they then recorded a music video during quarantine for the album for the song Heaven Or, which is one of the singles off this record. Um, that is the three musicians like in their own homes recording elements of this music video, um, which I think fits the vibe of the album. It feels like one of these albums that was written in like a prescient way. Andrew knew Adrian Lenker this week, one of your favorite artists. Yes, a very, a very lovely track um, called Anything. Similarly, um, personally evocative, much like Lamelda. A lot of new stuff this weekend centered around Bandcamp Friday. I feel like this was like a huge Bandcamp Friday. Yeah, it does feel that way, like the end of summer, Bandcamp Friday. But also we did a little more for it, so maybe... Right, we were more uh, in in tune with it uh ben saratin friend of the pod uh put out uh two live sets one from january one from july i believe um that are both really wonderful i wanted to point out a record from veritra i think i'm pronouncing that right v-r-i-t-r-a uh who was a former member of the odd future rap collective um, he released an album titled Sonar, which is one of my favorite hip-hop records of the year. Damn. Uh, I thought it was excellent. Namdi put out a three-track EP called Black Plight that is just, you know, three tracks of really powerful, angry music. 
uh, about race relations and racism and murder in the United States of America. Yeah. Wow. Um, a record from a full book, Bocom. Not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, which is like African, kind of like Afro jazz, similar to last week's episode when we talked about the, at the Panther by Manu Dubango. Uh, there was also, uh, so, okay. Francis Quinlan, whose solo album, likewise, we talked about earlier this year. It's one of my favorites of the year. Before she was the front woman of the band Hopalong, she was making solo music under the name Hopalong Queen, Queen Anne's Lace. There's a comma in there. Hmm. It's a pretty cumbersome name. But then again, yeah. one of my favorite bands has a comma in the title. So uh, what the fuck am I talking about? Anyway, I, it's something about Philly bands and commas. That's another episode. Anyway, so uh, in 2005, she recorded a bunch of tracks um, and released it, you know, herself. She was in college. The album's called Freshman Year. And at some point along the way, I I think relatively recently, she put it on Bandcamp. Um, This weekend, she put it on, like, streaming services. So it's now available there. But she also uh, put out an EP on Bandcamp only on Friday called Three More Songs from 2005, which is, well, it's it's three more songs that are from 2005. Um, and so that's very cool. And it's cool to like uh, go back and, and listen to that album because it feels very mid-2000s, mid-early 2000s to me. Yeah. Like it's got that kind of frenetic, like raucous energy of like a modest mouse or um, neutral milk hotel kind of thing going on. And you can see how she sort of evolved that. What I think of as her trademark chaos that is just barely held together sound from like literal chaos to this not controlled chaos. I don't think is what I, how I would describe likewise, but there's like a tendency towards chaos, but she knows exactly how far it can go and can stop it right as it's tipping over the cliff. That's a really cool way to describe it, uh, likewise. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's a bunch of, of singles and stuff that uh, I was excited by, but, um, you know, I was just, I was really distracted by the whole Lamelda thing. Yeah. That took up a lot of my time. But there was a, a track by Ian Wayne. There was another new track from Angemily, which is another album I'm going to gush about when it finally comes out. There was another uh, track from Your Friends, The Goodbye Party. Yeah. Kevin Morby put out a cool song that um, I like in general and also I really like because at the very end, or actually I think it's in the middle or something, um, in some weird lull in the song, there's like a maybe like phone quality recording of Waxahachie, which is nice. (laughs) Well, that's our show for the week. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, you should give us a follow on Twitter if you haven't already at Fresh Press Pod. We've been a little bit more active, and by we, I mean Andrew has been a little bit more active on the Twitter <laughs> feed. Oh wait, speaking of Twitter, I wanted to mention in case people are not on Twitter because we talked about Pogs last week, Oceanators Pogs, and um, on this past Friday, Bandcamp Friday, uh, Sad Thirteen, who is the uh, lead singer of Speedy Ortiz, who Gabe mentioned earlier put out two pieces of merch in support of her upcoming album 
which are a custom black tea blend and a custom vegan hazelnut spread. Whoa, I saw the tea blend, but I didn't see the hazelnut spread. What the? Yes. That's well, awesome. Well, I will see them both. In the mail. At my doorstep in October. So I'll let you know how they are. And this is why you should follow us on Twitter. Andrew is always talking about interesting merch. Uh, we're trying to promote artists that we think are great. You know, I, we're all aware that this is a little bit of a difficult time for the musical community, and it's great if we can come together. Um, so continue supporting artists if you have the means. One way to not really support artists, but the way to listen to music would be <laughs> listen to our Spotify playlist, which we also have. Um, and then you can listen to them and then go buy their music. Right. That is what you should that you should follow our example in that, like have Spotify because it's a thing that has all the music and it's easy to listen to, but then go to Bandcamp and buy their music and support them directly. And I'm sure that'll take you all the next week, but do not fear for, we will be back next Tuesday, September 15th with more tunes and more grooves. But for now, I'm Gabe. I'm Andrew. And you've been listening to Fresh Pressed. taking off your lamelda hat now andrew i am taking off my lamelda hat you know it's it's a little hot in the studio so having an additional thing on top of my head was not great but it was it was worth worth the pain for the bit (laughs) i'm glad you did it i'm glad i did it too and i'm really glad i bought this hat